So it's been just 24 hours. And um, I find it so interesting. You could shift over a little if you want, Kate. Uh, I find it so interesting to to uh, feel the difference, feel the, the, the change that's happened. Um, and one very tangible way that I, I can sense the change that's happened is by the quietness of the hall. Um, when, when the hall is quiet, it means that people are really settling into a, uh, a more uh, stable, um, attentive, present quality of meditation. <clears throat> Time is is so interesting. It's so it's so uh, flexible. It's so elastic. Um, you know when we are uh, when we're at home and uh, all caught up in our busy lives. You know, twenty four hours passes and and we just think, you know, where did the day go? You know, it's you know, it just feels like one blur sometimes. You know that we're so we're so busy and we're just going from one thing to another and sometimes it feels like we're just uh, on the surface, you know, kind of surfing along <laughs> on our day, just going from one thing to another. And I find on retreat that, um, that each day has a kind of a depth to it. It feels really full. There's, I, I've practiced with this um, Thai forest monk named uh, Ajahn Suchito. He's a very wonderful teacher, and he's, uh, he's got this very kind of whimsical sense of humor. And um, he was pretending once uh, in a Dharma talk to be describing, you know, well, what's a day on retreat like? You know, and he said, well, you know, I got up pre- pretty early, and, uh, and I sat. And then I walked, I sat some more, had some lunch, and by then I was so exhausted I just had to have a nap. <laughs> so there's a lot going on in, in this um, uh, very quiet activity that we're doing. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the unfolding of meditation practice. And uh, you know, each, each of us uh, is unique, and each person's um, spiritual journey is unique and, um, and unfolds uh, in, in their way uh, according to what's referred to as karma. Um, uh, the particularities of the person's mind and their history and conditioning. And, um, and yet there are many patterns, many kind of uh, uh, stages that we can talk about. Um, a kind of, uh, maybe patterns is not a good word, but, but um, there are some general uh, uh, stages um, 
ways that practice unfolds that we can talk about. And, um, and so I'd like to talk a little bit referring to uh, things I've already said. And I also uh, have some poems to read, mostly from Rumi. Uh, I find um, Rumi is a, a poet who lived in the 13th century, a uh, Persian poet, and he had a very profound understanding of uh, spirituality. <clears throat> and he express, expresses it very beautifully and often joyfully. So, so the mind, our minds, each one of us, has become more quiet. Um, it may be that uh, there's just been a moment of calm. Or it may be that, um, that really uh, there's been a kind of a, a deepening presence so, in different ways. Um, the, each, each of you have ex has experienced, probably, some, some quieting of the busyness of the mind. <clears throat> so, um, that in itself is beautiful. You know, when that happens, and um, somebody in the small group talked about an experience of that and, and that it happens, uh, it comes out of practice and we're, we're setting the conditions for that to happen in our practice, just uh, coming back to the simplicity of this moment, the simplicity of the breath, body sensation, sound, um, not getting caught up in, you know, feeding, the stories, the, the, the patterns of the mind that, um, that bring us away from presence, that, that uh, reaffirm and um, uh, assert this separate self versus other or self versus the world that we... Um, we dream in our daily lives. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's, a very, it's a very lovely, uh, calm experience. And what often happens um, when the mind begins to quiet down <clears throat> um, and we, we can enjoy the pleasantness of that, but also um, we begin to glimpse uh, some of the habitual patterns of the mind that um, uh, that we we usually keep out of sight. Um, habits of the mind of of anger, uh, habits of the mind of of uh, of wanting of of greed, of uh, judgment, self-judgment. So, in the, in the safety, in the in the in the peace and the calmness that we experience, um, we can 
begin to touch perhaps some of the uh, the more painful patterns of the mind that we keep looking away from that we don't want to see <clears throat> there's um there's a teacher named uh, Michelle McDonald who teaches uh, Fortune North, and she talks about this as, uh, as the drumbeat of purity and purification. And it happens, um, just another image is, is a kind of a spiraling deeper and deeper in our practice. That, that the experience of the quietness, the calmness, the spaciousness, the openness, um, is is coming uh, to a, a kind of a purity, a, a quality of purity of mind um, that comes from the purification, and the purification is this uh, mindfulness, this awareness of the more painful, uh, afflictive. Um, unskillful habits of mind that that we try to not see, but that drive us, that drive us in our lives. And so we move back and forth. Um, so as as we as we are able to be with be present with, compassionately, some of these, uh, these patterns which beneath our consciousness have been driving us. And, and we have the courage to, to open to and, and, uh, and to a certain extent release. So the, the openness, the awareness uh, gives space to these patterns to release, because when we're seeing them, when we're mindful of them, we're not identifying with them. And, uh, and, and so some of that energy can be released. And then we, we go back to joy and a sense of freedom and space, spaciousness, and, um, and, a, de- and, a, and a greater capacity to love and be in connection with the world. So, um, another model that's been used to describe this is a psychological model um, or psycho-spiritual model used by Carl Jung is uh, the seeing of the shadow. <coughs> and, um, and so uh, this, this shadow, you know, these, these patterns, uh, are our characteristics of mind, habits of mind that we don't want to acknowledge because they don't fit with the image that we have of ourselves. They don't fit with the way that um, we like to think of ourselves. I had a very uh, a, a really strong and uh, difficult uh, encounter with one of these uh, shadow qualities of mind um, uh, years ago when I was on retreat 
and um, uh, and you know, I had I had a sense of myself as uh, as not being perfect, of course, but but being a kind person, being a compassionate person, being an accepting person. That was how I viewed myself, and um, and suddenly, uh, just you know, one day it was during walking meditation, and I just saw the way judgment was present in my mind. There was so much judgment in my mind. Uh, I, and I realized, you know, what, it, what I noticed, and it was because I was being mindful, it was because the mind was, was quiet and attentive that I caught it, that I really saw it. And, um, and what I saw was that I was judging the way this woman was doing walking meditation. You know, and it's like, and then it, and then it just opened up for me in a flash. Like, I judged the way I was judging the way people ate. I was judging the way people sat in meditation. I was judging the clothes they wore. I was judging everything, and um, and it was devastating to see that. It was really devastating. Um, a big chunk of my ego went came crashing down, <laughs> and um, and I spent a lot of the day that day just sitting by the pond on the property, just crying, and um, it was really hard to see that. And uh, and I asked a teacher. Later, I said, you know, I wanted to understand why, how did, where did this judging come from? Where, where did this, this mind, you know, get this habit of, of being so harsh, uh, so judgmental to others? And he gave such a beautiful answer. He said, he said, it was the best we could do with what we have was the best you could do with what you had at the time. And I, it, I needed to really kind of be with that. And I, and, I, and I came to understand that even that judging mind came from a place of love because it was somehow a way I protected myself. You know, it was a way I, I felt very hurt by the world and you know, my experiences, and it was a way that I, I found to protect myself, you know, oh, they're no good, they're no good. And, um, and then later, it took a couple more years, but I, I, uh, I got in touch with um, how self-judging I was. And that, that was also uh, very painful to see. You know, really, oh, such self-judgment. So, um, so this this shadow, this shadow which reveals itself, it's um, it's difficult, it's painful, uh, but it's it's deeply liberating to um, to open to it, to accept it. To, to view it with compassion, 
There's a, a poem, actually this one is, uh, yeah, this one is by Rumi, that, that describes, I think, this, some of this process of seeing the mind. We are the mirror as well as the face in it. We are tasting the taste this minute of eternity. We are pain, and what cures pain, both. We are the sweet cold water and the jar that pours. Even the shadow is quite interesting. Even um, even aspects of the mind that can be viewed normally as very positive can be shadow. Now, I work. Um, I, I I teach meditation uh, at a prison in um, outside Montreal. And, and it's interesting how uh, to see that sometimes the capacity to love, the capacity to be vulnerable, the capacity to forgive can be in shadow. And that the anger, the... Um, uh, the, the toughness can be the persona, the image, the self-image that's seen as what is acceptable. And it's hard to allow those shadow aspects. You know, it, it may have been in, the, in a family that the expression of love was not, was not encouraged. The expression of kindness was not encouraged. And so so these aspects may be in shadow. And when they assert themselves, it may be perhaps frightening or unsettling uh, to think that, you know, for a person to think that they can express themselves in this way, manifest in this way. It may not feel safe. So this is another, another uh, way that shadow the shadow uh, can be known and experienced. So we need to we need to notice and give space to and open to and and even welcome. You know the those those difficult, ugly, disturbing parts of who we are. It doesn't mean that we express them. It doesn't mean that we act them out. You know, 
uh, opening and and receiving and and being aware of anger doesn't mean that we start acting angry. In in fact, it's the it's the opposite because when we're aware, then we're not driven by that energy. Another Rumi poem that uh, I often read, I'm sure some of you know this poem, it's called uh, The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. When we accept our own shadow, as we begin to accept the fear, the judgment, the resentment, as we just are present with it, it the Tibetans use the Tibetan Buddhists use the expression, it self-liberates. We see, we see that it arises and passes away. We see the impermanent nature of these thoughts, these patterns, these emotional states. So when we have the steadiness and spaciousness of mind to be with these difficult um, mental states that arise, we, we develop insight into them, into the nature of them, into their impermanent nature, into, their, into the suffering nature of them. When we see how much suffering is in anger, we don't want to be burned by it anymore. When we see how isolating judgment is. We, we, we don't want to hold on to it. We don't want to believe our judgments anymore. The mind just lets it go when we see its suffering nature. So we see it's impermanent, we see it's suffering, and we also see that it arose out of conditions. It's not ourself. It's not something solid. 
it just arise, arises and passes away. It arose from conditions, and as the conditions of our lives change, and the conditions of our minds change, it, won't, it will no longer be present in the same way. When we accept these aspects of the mind, without pushing them back in the corner, trying to put the lid on them, push them away, we're not only accepting our own mind, we're accepting the mind of humanity. We're accepting the suffering of the world. We're accepting, we're, we're developing a heart, a courageous heart that can be present with all the hurt and pain that exists in the world. Often what comes up when we encounter some of these, um, these painful states of mind are memories, memories associated with uh, you know, where we began to, to, to hold these attitudes, hold these, these views and these beliefs, traumas we experienced. And it often happens that we encounter a deep resentment or, or guilt. We, resentment toward others, anger toward others. So resentment is anger which is held over time. You know, anger can just flare up because, uh, you know, you see something or you hear something or you... you you know, somebody hurts you and, 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 and anger can flare up and then it passes away. But resentment is when we, we go back to that anger and we, you know, we, we hold it, we make a story out of it, we, uh, we work it, you know, it becomes, you know, we become uh, a victim <coughs> or we, be, we become... Um, uh, somebody who you know was hard done by or has a grudge you know, and uh, can be very righteous becomes part of our identity. So this resentment um, is very, very limiting, very crippling in our spiritual growth. As is guilt. Guilt is self-blame that we hold over time. And again, it, it it's part of, becomes part of our identity, and uh, and we feel that somehow we're flawed or we're bad or we can never be forgiven, uh, or somehow we have to keep this a secret, and if anybody knew what we did or uh, or how we acted or how we failed to act, you know, they would think less of us, and so. Um, so forgiveness is, is a really important part of spiritual 
development. When we begin to touch some of these painful, painful qualities of mind, and so it's it's um, it's good not to look away. Again, when we remember something that we feel, you know, terrible about having done, or or something that we didn't do that we wish we had done. You know, to uh, to go back and to accept. Well, this this is just what happened. You know, this is how it unfolded. This is this is what we could do at the time. We weren't able to. Um, and to forgive others who have hurt us. To recognize holding on to the anger doesn't protect us from it having happened. Sometimes I think that people hold on to anger about something because somehow it feels like a shield. you see it as a shield, you know. If I if I hold this anger, then somehow uh, it's protecting me myself from this having happened. But it it did happen, uh, and uh, and so there's nothing we can do but accept it and move on. There's a there's a saying which I think is really uh, it's really to the point, and it's kind of funny as well, at the same time. And the saying is, forgiveness is giving up on having had a better past. And it's kind of funny because, you know, we all know that past is past. You know, we can't, there is, there is no past somehow over our shoulder that we can turn around and go back to and fix. The past is gone. And so we can give up on having had a better one. You know, it, it was imperfect. Maybe it was even very painful in many ways. But that's just what it was. And if we keep carrying it around, either in resentment or in guilt, um, it, it impacts our present and our future. So we can let it go. So, so as, you know, as, as your meditation unfolds, as your spiritual journey unfolds, it's important to give some attention to, to forgiveness. And, and also we've hurt people, we've hurt others. So we've, We've hurt ourselves, others have hurt us, and we've hurt others. And, and sometimes we can go and ask forgiveness. Sometimes, um, I remember when I was, uh, I was going through a process of, of, um, of dealing with unresolved issues in my past. <clears throat> I went back and I, I looked up this this guy that I had known when I was in my early 20s. 
I had borrowed a hundred dollars from him and um, and had never paid it back and so um, uh, so I looked him up and I I told him I remembered this and he remembered it and uh, and he forgave me and um, and that felt good. So sometimes we can do that, and sometimes the person is gone, or is uh, you know has died, or is just so. But we can we can have that intention. We can acknowledge uh, that we we were hurtful. We can fully accept responsibility for that. And that helps us to move on. There's another Sufi poem, um, a Rumi poem. It's called Rumi, Pay a Homage. If God said, Rumi, pay homage to everything that helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience of life, not one thought, not one feeling, not any act, I would not bow to. So there's nothing in our lives, nothing of who we are, that needs to be excluded from our heart, from our freedom, from our love, our compassion. And as we develop this capacity to not exclude any single part of ourselves from our compassionate heart, we find beautifully, magically, that the whole world has entered our heart. There is no one that we exclude, no one that isn't part of this, this wholeness, this unity of life. We find ourselves being able to, to receive people who are really difficult or, or really um, that we might think are really uh, offensive or repulsive or repugnant and somehow we can see past that 
and open to this person on a deeper level, to the life that they are, the life that we share. Somebody talked, I forget who it was, when, when we did our, our um, collage of compassion. Um, somebody talked about, about taking photographs, uh, somebody who took photographs of the ones who are unseen, the unseen ones, the marginal ones, the ones that we look away from as we walk down the street. We, we often put a lot of filters on our, what we see, what we see in the world. Even in the natural world, we tend to look only at the beauty, what we think is beautiful, that which is vibrant and thriving, you know, and, uh, and we don't see the the decay, or the, uh, the misshapen. I remember um, another retreat I was on. I loved taking walks um, in the woods and along uh, the country roads on this, uh, at this retreat center. And um, and I had been uh, hearing some teaching about uh, how desire uh, in the mind filters what we see. And we only see what we want to see. We only see what's pleasant. And we filter out what's uh, unpleasant and, and we don't like to see. And, um, and I remember walking and looking around and and I, I began to see, you know, these um, really struck me was these, uh, these big gypsy moth cocoon wrappings of the branches. And um, it was ugly. It's really ugly. And it was killing the trees, you know, so it was also uh, destructive to the trees anyway, not to the gypsy moths. Uh, it's good for them. And um, yeah, I, I found myself taking it all in, being able to, uh, it's, it seems like a little thing, but it, um, it can be kind of manifested in, in many, many ways that we, uh, we filter our reality. We don't see what we don't want to see, both within our own selves and in the world. So I want to end with another poem. And um, I don't know if this one, I don't think this is a Rumi poem, but it's a Sufi poem. Rumi comes from the Sufi spiritual tradition. And um, 
And this is in the same tradition. Overcome any bitterness that might have come because you were not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to you. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, each one of us is part of her heart and therefore endowed with a certain measure of cosmic pain. You are sharing in the totality of that pain. You are called, you are called upon to meet it in joy instead of self-pity. So let's sit for a few minutes. Overcome any bitterness that may have come because you were not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to you. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, each one of us is part of her heart and therefore endowed with a certain measure of cosmic pain. You are sharing in the totality of that pain. You are called upon to meet it in joy instead of self-pity.
So we'll do some walking meditation now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.